0: Welcome to The Nature of Nantucket. I'm Joanna Roach from the Mariah Mitchell Association, and I'm in the studio today with Ginger Andrews, who is a field ornithologist and has worked with us for quite some time. And uh, Ginger is going to share some of her stories of Nantucket. Welcome, Ginger. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you today a little bit because I think your story about your parents, Edith and Clinton Andrews, is so fascinating and that your mom was a Folger and originally had a connection to Nantucket. Um, so why don't we start there? Right? Tell okay, us the story. Well,
1: well, I would just say that if uh, if the Moran Mitchell Association had not existed, neither probably probably I wouldn't exist either because that's how my parents met. My father's... A uh, younger sister, Barbara, worked at the observatory developing glass plate negatives of variable stars after she graduated high school. Uh, she worked with Margaret Harwood. And my father always used to come and walk her home. And that's how he met my mother, who was uh, had fallen in love with the island uh, after she graduated from Penn State. Uh, the family had a two-week trip to Nantucket. She just fell in love with the island. Uh, the birds were great. Uh, I think it was the first time she saw a hawk, which is now called the Northern Harrier. And uh, she met my dad, I guess, um, let's see, she stayed all year, uh, I think it was 1940 or 41. The high school science teacher had been drafted to be in World War II. And uh, she uh, applied for the job to teach science at Nantucket High School and got the job. And, uh, and my father was in the coast. He was a local guy. He a, was a fourth-generation Nantucketer, but he was in the local uh, Coast Guard uh, post here. So uh, they um, uh, got married, and uh, um, here I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that is lovely. And so tell us a little bit about both of their, you know, work and life on Nantucket, you know, during that time and a little bit beyond, because I think it's an interesting time period for the island.
1: Well, it was. I mean, Nantucket was a very different place from what I gather from their stories of the 40s. Uh, my father was a local fisherman, uh, so he followed the seasons, but uh, he was also um, very scientifically oriented. He, um, he knew the Latin name of everything that came across his culling board, and it was the seasonal life of cod and haddock in the spring and fall, scallops in the winter, and uh, teaching people sailing in the summer. He never taught me, unfortunately. Uh, now, my mother had uh, developed an interest in birds uh, very early and um, uh, studied nature education at Penn State. She came to um, uh, uh, teach in the summer at the Mariah Mitchell Association and uh, later took a she took a course in museum work. Um, at the Buffalo Museum of Science, I think, with Chauncey DePew. She she knew Margaret Dav- he knew Margaret Davis, who was president of the Mariah Mitchell Association at the time. So then she uh I guess when she went back to Cornell for her master's, she was still teaching on Nantucket in the summer, and uh, was curator of Mariah Mitchell's birthplace for a time. Then at that point that was the Mariah Mitchell um that was the museum that's where everybody lived uh, the astronomer had a separate cottage but um, but anyway that was uh, so I grew up you know taking nature classes being dragged around the island to memorize names of plants and um, <laughs> some of which I actually retained over time so um so you know at at one point I was about fourteen and Organizations were giving life memberships with, you know, I think it was fifty dollars for a life membership, which a, which was a lot of money at the time. And I sort of had a choice of the Historical Association or the Mariah Mitchell. And I said, well, I'll always be interested in Mariah Mitchell. Oh, wow! Yeah.
0: So how did you come to be interested in birds and kind of follow this line of passion that's in your family?
1: Well, you have to understand that birds were um, inescapable in the family household. We had uh, uh, birds in rehab in the house because in the early days, there weren't special rehab centers. And uh, occasionally, people would bring things into the vet who, you know, there was one vet Mm, let's see, in the early days, there was a vet who came from off-island once every two weeks or so. It was not a big, uh, you know, people didn't take their animals to the vet much. So, and there weren't very many people here. So later when there was, we had a regular vet and he had, you know, some, uh, when he had, say, an owl that was injured, um, he couldn't, there were no technicians to take care of it the facility was very small so um he would hand off the injured wildlife to my mother and we would take care of these things and so that was how i met owlbert that was uh, i was maybe 10 or 12 and he um that was a barn owl that someone had uh brought in it had an injured wing and the vet said uh he could um uh, he could amputate the wing, uh, but and they would have to take care of it for the rest of its life, or he could euthanize it. And my parents said, "Oh, of course, we'll take care of it." <laughs> so Albert had his own little house. We were living at the UMass field station at the time, and um, yeah, we caught mice for him and. Uh, Occasionally, if it was difficult to get mice in the winter, say when they were hibernating, um, uh, he would have to eat chopped uh, chicken neck, and my father would wrap it in rabbit fur so that the, he would be able to cast the pellet. Owls, as you probably may or may not know, um, uh, will uh, upchuck the uh, bones and hair when they uh, when they when they eat a meal. Right, right.
0: I love that story. It reminds me, when I was a little girl, we would um, occasionally have a bird that would have a broken wing or almost drown in the horse water trough. And we, and meaning me and my three sisters... <laughs> have been known to have a couple of pet crows that uh-huh. we popsicle-sticked their wings back together right? and attempted to nurture them back to health. And I will say that we had a 50% success rate.
1: <laughs> well, that's probably pretty good, although I don't know the exact figures. Anyway, to, to fast forward a little bit, um, birds were an inescapable part of our lives. And um, uh, you also have to understand that I was terribly nearsighted So I wasn't actually able to see very well, uh, in the field. So I didn't get into birding as the sport we know it today until the optics improved. I got glasses and, um, and I was still very busy. I, you know, my parents sort of had the natural world sewed up between them. (laughs) So I ended up in the arts in order to have something of my own. Mm. And, uh, I um uh Beverly Hall uh, when I was a kid had a children's art school mm-hmm. on Old South Wharf. She gave a scholarship to a local kid and one year I was the kid and I loved it so much. I kept doing it. So wow. uh she was a big uh mentor and she loved having the you know the nest of baby robins come to the gallery and have us feed and show the kids and everything. So um so I I really got into birding later in life and I think that's made me uh, better at explaining birds to people who don't know much about them because I spent a long time as a non-birder in an ornithological family. So um, I think uh, one year I managed to spot the first oyster catcher and was like, wow, look at that. You know, that huge red shucking knife of a bill on a black and white bird. They're large enough to really see well. So that was fun. And then towards the end of my mother's life, um, I started doing what I would call the preemptive chauffeuring. And while I was taking her around and trying to give her pleasure of being out and looking at things, I was also getting a daily four-hour ornithology tutorial. So right. some of it had really had to stick.
0: Right. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. And tell me about where you are in your artwork and, and that piece of your
1: life. Huh. Well, i didn't do any for quite a long time because I was working for the theater workshop, and that was a very demanding uh uh job because you know the schedules are tight and there's a lot to do, and things are constantly changing and I loved being a lighting designer um, I think it uh uh informed my um, two dimensional work um, But uh, there again, the equipment changes, and uh, the colors change, and then you can really only work in the same building for, you know, a couple of decades before you become slightly bored with every possible angle. Um, So uh, I didn't really go back to painting, which is what I'm doing now some of the time, until um, I had a big uh, health issue surgery and... Couldn't couldn't do I couldn't do the physical work anymore that I used to I couldn't carry the ladders around and you know spend climb up and down them until two in the morning and roll the floors and all that that is that the theater involves so I uh, I'm you know I'm still evolving I'm learning as I do it I think okay and
0: tell me a little bit about. Oh, gee. Some of the work that you're doing now around bird walks, right? I know we went on a bird walk on Saturday morning. We did. And we were looking for the snowy owl and also the trumpeter swan. So talk to us a little bit about those two species on Nantucket.
1: Well, the trumpeter swan was a first for Nantucket and only, a like I think, the fourth record for the state. So that the trumpeter swan is the rare bird of the, you know... Well, I can't say it's been the rare bird of the year because we don't know whatever is going to turn up. But they're the rarest swan in North America. They nearly became extinct Um, by 1900. I think in the early 30s, they said there were maybe 69 individuals in the United States left. Uh, There were a few up in Canada, Alaska, but um, they were, as, as as the hook and bullet guys would say, over harvested. So they've gradually come back a bit. There's a population uh, around the Great Lakes area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may be where this one came from. What would we be harvesting swan for? Uh, let me see. Quill pens, powder puffs, feather pillows, uh, meat, uh, the 19th century, and basically anything that moved was uh, up for grabs. Okay. (laughs) Well, it was exciting to see it on Saturday morning.
0: And do you think, I know we were talking, do you think, um, I'm not remembering if it was a he or a she. I don't know. uh, Do you think that they will stay here for the winter or do you think they're migratory? There's just one. There's just
1: one. Well, this this is the reason that we go out and monitor things because we don't know. If it was heading south and is this enough south for it? Is it finding enough food? Will it go further? Will it stay along? You know, Snowy owls sometimes spend the winter here and develop a territory. They, they're they protective of their territory in the winter. And uh, this is another problem because um, shortly after uh, our walk, I don't think it was not, I don't think about us, but people have really been harassing the snowy owls for photographs. And uh, it's really illegal to harass these migratory birds and, You know, if you don't, uh, you'll you'll get a a foretaste in my scolding in the paper this week. Um, If you have to get that close that the owl flies, you need a better camera. I think that that's probably good advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, I have another question for you. Um, I listened recently to the uh, show by Mark. I'm not going to remember his last name. Bayerty. That's him. uh, About the Christmas bird count. That's right. And I wanted, I'm sure you went and participated on Nantucket. I yeah. And I listened that, you know, Nantucket by far took home the prize for the Christmas bird count this year between the Cape and the islands. And I know that we saw a frigate bird. A can
1: magnificent you, frigate bird, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's, a, that's a, it's considered a tropical species. Um, it's really quite an uh, um, amazing bird. They're... Uh, extremely agile aerialists. They can swoop and dive, and uh, they're not quite like albatrosses, but they have a similar ability to just cruise over open ocean for miles. So to them, maybe Nantucket's not that far from, you know, Barbados or wherever they might happen to be. Uh, They're interesting in that as a seabird, they're not really very waterproof, so what they do is they'll come down, they have this long hooked bill, and they can snag fish out of the surface of the water. So, uh, you know, they can't really land on the ocean. They would sink and get waterlogged. So probably when it came out of the fog, it was delighted to find the utility wire to sit on and, um, uh, it was a good roost. I mean, there are very few mangroves in the, in the vicinity.
0: So. <laughs> so what do you think happens to a bird like that when they get, you know, that far derailed from their path?
1: Well, we don't know that it really was derailed. I mean, the, the Gulf Stream comes up, you know, past yeah. us or, you know, things would be a lot colder. We're sort of on the uh, latitude of Italy, I think. But anyway, the, um, uh, a lot of birds that come this far don't make it. Um, if it, you know, rested, pulled itself together, you know, found some more fish near the surface, it may have been feeding commensally with, uh, I've noticed the gulls, uh, making pods, possibly with seals driving the bait up to the surface. We don't, we don't really know, but it's kind of a fascinating thing to watch.
0: Were there anything, were there anything else that stuck out from the Christmas bird count for you besides the magnificent frigate bird? (laughs)
1: Well, let's see. we had a lot of uh, uh there were late things. It's unusually late to find uh American red Start or blue headed vireo that's been a trend though and um the western kingbird uh that was also you know it may it if there was just one it may have been around for quite a while. We don't really know okay. but that was uh that was another good find
0: all right. we have just a few minutes left. I'm wondering if you might share. One of your favorite memories uh, from Mariah Mitchell when you were a child. Let's
1: see. Well, I believe in the collection there is a ring snake, which um, I found, and my father was delighted that I had found this thing and collected it, and it's in a jar of alcohol somewhere in the collection. <laughs> I don't think I would do this anymore. I don't. Uh, I, I've come to appreciate so much more of living birds, living beings in their environment and to preserve the habitat and the environment, I think is more important.
0: Are ring snakes native to Nantucket?
1: Well, I mean, we have them here. Yeah. So it was a, uh, it was one of the six uh, local snakes that we have. Yeah. Ah, So it's a memory for you of catching, catching
0: something that was significant.
1: Well, that was appreciated, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I love that. Well, I could talk with you for many more minutes about all of these interesting things, and I'm sure we will come back another time and do some of that. Tell us what you have on the agenda for this Saturday's
1: well, I bird watching. I won't know until it comes up. Okay. We, I'll decide based on the weather. And, you know, there's something I think called birder's intuition, I I used to watch friend Locks do this, and he'd say, well, go to such and such a spot. And then he'd turn and go somewhere else. It's like, you know, there's that back of your mind that's like, well, maybe if we go there. Birds are highly mobile, so you just have to follow your intuition. And sometimes it's dead on, and sometimes it's really dead off, I have to say. So you never know. Well,
0: this past weekend, it was pretty dead on because we saw both the snowy owl and the trumpeter swan.
1: Well, that's what a friend of mine calls smart luck rather than dumb luck. <laughs> you go where is a likely spot. That's all we can do, really. All right. Well, we
0: have some new binoculars at the Mariah Mitchell Association. So um, if you are interested in joining bird walks, you can sign up for Gingers on Saturday mornings from 8 to 10. And I am Joanna Roach. This is called The Nature of Nantucket. I've been speaking with Ginger Andrews, who is our field ornithologist and knower of all birding things on Nantucket. Hardly all. (laughs) Many birding things on Nantucket. There's always more to learn. Yes, there is. Thank you for joining us today, Ginger. Oh, you're welcome.